rowdy crowd. I like it. I like it. I hope y'all like me when this is over. Uh, man, it is good to be back. Uh, we were uh, last week. We were up in South Carolina. Uh, got to go up there, and her, my daughter Kennedy and her husband are getting ready to move to California. So we want to go up and be with them as they led worship at Second Chance Church, which. Uh, one of my favorite speakers, Perry Noble, is a pastor there. Got to meet him. We had a great time, but we miss our family. And I heard Ben, Pastor Ben, knocked it out of the park. Come on. Um, have you enjoyed getting to hear some of our other pastors speak? Yeah, I mean, it's, Casey spoke a couple weeks ago. Uh, being next week, you're in for a treat. I'll be here. I'm going to actually swap place. I'm actually going to help. Uh, Bob lead worship, and then Pastor Amanda's going to be bringing the message next week. So, uh, Listen, uh, before we get started, uh, let you make you aware of some things. We're starting a 21-day fast tomorrow. Uh, we're praying and fasting for our college football season this year. <laughs> that we actually have one, because if it doesn't, I'm going to go into a deep depression. And uh, we're going to have to have other prayers now. Uh, a couple things. Guys, we've got to celebrate recovery that takes place here every Thursday night. It is a vital part of the ministry that we do here at Watts Bar Church. I cannot tell you. I, 99% of the people in our, in, in our congregation, in our communities, have been affected by uh, uh, addiction, have been affected by anger, have been affected by these things. And here's the thing. We need you to be a part of it. We need you to be a part of it, whether, whether if you want to volunteer to, to cook a meal once a month or once every other week, or if, if you want to go all in, hey, we need you. If you want to be a greeter, a welcome, if you want to be someone who sits in and, and part of the conversations, but we need you guys. Listen, enough talk. Let's start walking in. Amen? So, uh, Danny, if you'd mind, will y'all just stand up real quick? Stand up real quick. These... These two people are godsends, and man, they have taken our Celebrate Recovery and just revamped it, do an incredible job. See them. Make sure you see them. Thank you, guys. Um, I was talking with my brother, Chris, uh, this past week, my older brother, who's a pastor down in Birmingham, and... We were talking about this because, uh, see, when people say, Kelly, we want you to tell the truth. We want you to be honest. Really, they don't. <laughs> Unless it's what they want to hear. Then they want me to be honest. Then they want me to be true. And we were talking about how I don't really think people realize the pressures a pastor is under, especially in this environment. Because here's the thing, you can post something on Facebook or on social media, you can say something, you may get a few dislikes, but that's it. Me, I post something that you disagree with. It doesn't matter what I did the past eight years. It doesn't matter anything good I said or poured into you. This cancel culture we've got now cancels out all that, and now I hate you because of this. Is it real? If it's your first time, welcome. I'm just here to make you feel good about yourself. Um, <laughs> but but it is. It, it, it is. And, you know, uh, being a pastor has got some, I think it was Big Daddy Kane that first coined the phrase, pastoring ain't easy. 
Oh, wait, no, that's pimping ain't easy. I'm sorry. Um, so, so, come on. Y'all are slow today. Y'all got to catch up. See, I'm, I'm full of caffeine and, and monster energy drinks. We're going to get going. Uh, with that being said, let, let, let me say something before we kick in today. This message today, because I've been very careful what I say, what I do, what I post, what I don't, because uh, here's what I know. Wherever you're getting your news, wherever you're getting your information, you believe that's the right information. And everybody, all the other information is wrong. And so, I, listen, I don't know who, I, I'm not here to debate who's right or who's wrong. This is not a pro-mask, anti-mask Anything like that, I, I'll, I'll comply. Now, I did. I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I know I'm a pastor. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, I saw something on uh, uh, a guy following say he did it. So I'm at Sam's. You know, they've got the got to wear a mask in Sam's. And I called my wife and said, I'm going to try something. I had my mask in my back pocket just in case. So I walked in, and the guy's like, hey, sir, sir, I need you to put your mask on. I said, hey. My religious beliefs won't let me do that. Come on in, sir. Come on in, sir. So. <laughs> now, I don't suggest you try that, but it worked. Uh, so, <laughs> but but I, I'm going to say this. Uh, it, it, it's not that. It's not that. I, what I want you to do is take your opinions, take your thought process, and how about doing this? Say, God. I just want to hear from you today. Not my biasness, not my opinion. I want to hear from you today. And if what he has to say is true, even if I don't like it, speak to me. Is that okay? And the rest of y'all just like, no. I like what I believe is what I'm going to do. Uh, so, all right, y'all ready for today? Let me start off with a question. Have you ever looked at something and wondered, what purpose does that serve? Why is it here on this earth? For example, mosquitoes. Why? Why? Why do, what purpose do they serve? I Googled it, and here's what it said. Mosquitoes seem to serve no purpose other than to annoy us. But from the mosquitoes' point of view, their purpose is to make more mosquitoes. So the mosquito's purpose is to make more of themselves so they can annoy more of us. Come on, I, I think about it. I'm like, come on, come on, Noah. You were loading them up two by two. Why don't you look and say, hey, guys, no, no, no. I've had enough of y'all. You dying out today. <laughs> you know, anybody else? But no, here there. And I'm like, why? What purpose does it exist? And here's why I brought that up. Over the past six months, Denise and myself have watched a lot of people, followers of Jesus, begin to live their lives as if this pandemic has given them a hall pass on their purpose for why they're in this world. I'm just going to hunker down and write it out. I'm gonna set, I know I've got a purpose, but I'm going to set it over here until we get through this thing. And we've begun to live our lives like that. And I've watched a lot of believers develop that mindset. But here, listen, I don't know. The, the, I'm not here to debate mask, not mask. Or, but I'm not, here's what I do know for certain. 
that God, the God who created you, the God who created me, the God that sent his son to die so we could be saved, did not do those things so we could hunker down and ride the storm out. He did it because we serve a purpose in this world, in this climate that we are in. You, you, you've got to ask yourself a very real and personal question. God, why did you decide to have me live, have me alive in 2020 with everything that's going on? Here's what I know. You weren't put here for such a time as this to ride out the storm. To just sit by until it's over. Everyone in this room, you were created for such a time as this with a purpose, for a purpose, on purpose. You've got a purpose. You've got a purpose. Um, but I, like I said, I've watched people um, that, that seem to be, I watch social media. It seems like they're hell-bent on just wasting their life during this pandemic. You know, the Netflix... Uh, in April, when this kind of thing kind of really took off, the uh, Netflix got 15 million new subscribers. Everybody's watching Netflix. Everybody's watching Amazon, Hulu. And, and, and we decided, oh, you know what? Let's just take advantage of this and ride it out. And so they're hell, some are hell-bent on just wasting it. So if that's you, what I want to do today, I want to show you how to waste your life. I want to help you with this. I don't want to be just somebody who tells you how to tells you what you need to do and then not how. I want to help you. Uh, so we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 if you got a Bible. Uh, if you don't, I'm going to bring it up on the screen. No worries. Um, anybody ever had something or someone get your attention? I mean really get your attention. Like you're just in your own little world and bam. out. My wife and kids absolutely love when I do this thing here. Like if I'm sitting in the car waiting for them, they're shopping, they're in the store, and they come out and they're kind of in their own little world talking, and they walk in front of my car, and I lay down on the horn. They love it. When they jump out of their skin, they absolutely love it. I get their attention. Men, do you remember the first time that wife or that girlfriend really got your attention? Let me help you out, man. Just shake your head like this and do it enthusiastically. I remember, I remember. It'll help you out later. Well, here in Isaiah 6, God's about to get Isaiah's attention, really shake him up. A little backstory before we jump into Scripture. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. If you're not familiar with what they did, basically a prophet then would hear from God and then go take the message to the people and tell them what God saved. said. And, and depending on... Uh, you, a prophet might have a good relationship with the king, might not. It's kind of like church now, the pastor. If the prophet says something good, the king liked him. I'm just going to let it lay there for a minute. Uh, but no, but, but so that, that's where we're at. And, and, and if you read the scriptures, it, the, the, uh, the, um, the kingdom uh, had gotten divided up. You had the uh, southern northern kingdom, and then you had the, the uh, southern kingdom of Israel been split. And the king of the south, southern kingdom was King Uzziah. Now, King Uzziah and prophet Isaiah had a really good relationship. 
especially when you follow their history and read about them, it could have said they were very close friends. So, so while we read, uh, it, we read uh, that in the year uh, uh, King Uzziah died, Isaiah might say, in the year my friend died, in the year my good, in the year tragedy struck and I lost a good friend. Here's the thing: we've seen a lot of death here lately, right? I mean, with the COVID nineteen deaths, with shootings, with rioting, with, with with things going on, we've seen a lot of death, and death is not pretty. I've been around death way more than what I ever wanted to be, especially as a pastor. You're around it a lot, and here's what I know about death: no one in this life gets out without being affected by it. You just don't. Last time I checked, one out of one people die eventually. And I've been around death. I've watched my cousin Matt die. Uh, 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 been there when my, I lost all my grandparents. Uh, my, my dad, my wife's dad, uh, and more recently my mom passed away. And, and no matter how much you're around death, it, it never gets easy. And so here you've got Isaiah. Tragedy hits. And he says, in the year my friend died. But here's what I like about Isaiah. Instead of the loss and the tragedy driving him away from God, he let it drive him toward God. And one of the results of this pandemic that I've watched is a lot of followers of Jesus have not allowed this crisis that we're in to drive them closer to God. Instead, they've allowed it to drive them further away from God, further away from God's people, and they've kind of separated themselves on this island where it's nobody but them. And guys, that's not the way it meant to be. I'm telling you, God, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Isaiah loses a friend, and he runs toward God. And, and let me be clear about this. I'm glad we're live and recording so that someone can't say I said something other than this. I don't believe for one second that God calls the pandemic. I don't believe for one second that God causes the tragedies we've seen, but I do believe God will use them to get our attention. And, and I know there are those that will get angry uh, about some of the stuff I'm going to talk about today. Uh, you'll, they'll post about me, what I said on Facebook. But here's what I know, and is we all, when we hit things, we all have a tendency to drift. And let me explain. When, when we first moved back here, uh, Denise and I, we rented a house on the lake. And we had a boat. It wasn't a pretty boat. Uh, it barely classified as a boat. Uh, but it pulled my grandkids and my son around the lake. So we enjoyed it. Uh, and one day we come in. I, I pulled up to the dock, kind of just threw the rope around and walked up to get me a sandwich. Come back. Guess what? The boat had drifted and gone to a place where it wasn't supposed to be. And I believe that's what has happened to a lot of followers of Jesus. That we thought, well, I'll just tie it to the dock here and take a break. But now we've come back and we find ourselves drifted away from where we weren't supposed to be. And we've got, we've got used to the new normal. We've got used to not really having to pay attention. We've got used to things just being the way they are and we've just drifted. And as we continue to drift, what happens is we find ourselves around some people uh, we, we don't need to be around, wondering how we got there in the first place. It's because we drifted. So here's my challenge to you today. 
Instead of getting mad at me, instead of shutting me down, shutting me out, how about say, God, you speak to me. Is that fair? All right. So if you're here and you are hell-bent on wasting your life during this, let me help you. The first thing you've got to do is this. Don't pay pay attention. Don't pay attention. Um, I remember going to the Walmart one time. It's been a few years back. It's one of those deals where me and Denise pulled in, and I, she, I said, hey, I'll catch up with you. I got I to gotta go hit the restroom. And, and I just, man, I'm just, you're, been, you're just hurry. I run in there. I go in the stall, shut the door. I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden, I start hearing high heels. <laughs> and I'm like, say, well, pastor, what'd you do? I said, I sat there till the place was cleared out, and I got out of there as quick as I could. Yeah, I, I was like that because I was used. Here's what I was used to: the Walmart I usually went to, the men's bathroom was on this side. Come on, and so I wasn't paying attention, and so I walked in thinking I was going, and I find that's what happens to us: we don't pay attention, we start to drift, we find ourselves in a room we don't need to be in, around people we're not supposed to be around. And trying to get the heck out of there, but without somebody noticing it. And I believe that's what's happened a lot. So let me ask you a question. What's it going to take for God to get your attention? I mean, you don't have to look at anywhere other than 2020 to start counting up tragedies and events that have happened. We've seen COVID-19 literally bring our nation to a halt, right? Right? never, can I, I'm going to be really honest with you, never in a million years did I ever think that I would see the day in America where we would be told that churches could not gather. Yeah. Never thought I'd see that. I, I never thought I'd see the day when the small business owners would be told, you've got to shut your doors, but these big businesses, they can get rich. I was looking at an article while I was in my office between services. Uh, Walmart, Amazon, um, Target, Lowe's, their businesses have gone up 70 to 80%, while 30% of the small businesses have closed down. Never thought I'd saw it. I never thought I'd see the day where I'd have to carry a mask everywhere I went. Used to, it wasn't a good thing for you to walk into a, ma- a bank with a mask. I miss those days. I never thought I'd see a day in America where the human life, no matter what color, would hold so little value. Hold so little value. Never saw the day where, I, where I would, we would see a, an organization publicly, blatantly proclaim, hey, this is what we're for. We are for tearing apart what the family is supposed to look and and make it look like something else. And watch hundreds of thousand people jump on board with that not even knowing what they're representing. Never thought it. I never thought I'd see the day where uh, if you disagreed with something I said, that automatically made me your enemy. You know, we can't. To, to me, I've got people, me and, my, me and my wife have been married almost 30 years. Rarely do we ever agree. Come on. 
It shows me you could disagree with people and still have a good relationship. Not in America. So here's what we've got to understand, guys. As a people and a nation, God is not trying to punish us. God is not trying to bring judgment on America. But here's what I do believe. I believe God is trying to desperately get our attention to wake us up. I mean, think about it. When... when Rarely have I, I, well, never, never have I had a conversation with somebody that's telling me about how they got saved, how they not come to, come to Christ. It, it has never went like this. Oh, I'll tell you what, Pastor, my life was incredible. I had so much money in the bank. My marriage was awesome. My kids, they did, oh, it was just, it was just a blessing. And I sit there thinking, how can I make my life better? I'm going to get saved. You know how it usually starts? My marriage was falling apart. Had an addiction that I could not break. My life was hell on wheels. And then I found Jesus. God is trying to desperately get our attention, guys. What's it going to take to get your attention? Man, my prayer is if you're watching online or if you're here, uh, live here, and, and you're going through some stuff, whether it's this pandemic or you were going through, through stuff way before this, my prayer is that you would wake up and begin to pay attention. The second way to ruin your life or to waste your life in a pandemic is this. Don't see God accurately. Just choose, hey, I, see God however you want to see him. Just don't see him accurately. Don't seem how he truly is. Here's the thing. If you want your friends, co-workers, fellow students, family to have an accurate view of who God really is, you've got to have an accurate view of who God really is. You've got to know who he is. You're not, furthermore, you're not going to get a non-follower of Jesus to have an accurate view of God by arguing with them on Facebook. In fact, thus saith the Lord, Stop it. Stop it. And if you do, tell people you go to a different church. I mean, you've never. Yeah, I've never went and said, hey, you're going to hell. You're right. Pray with me. No, but I have had a relationship where I've talked to somebody, I got to know them. And they said, hey, what is it about you? I'm telling you guys, we've got, we've got to check it up. The only way we're going to see God accurately is by seeing, or they're going to see God accurately, is by, seeing, by us seeing God accurately and then begin to live it out. Isaiah sees God accurately. Look at this, Isaiah 6, 1 again. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high, exalted, seated on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now I want you to get a picture of what's going on. These seraphim, these angels, get out of your mind what, what we've been told an angel looks like. These are not fat, chubby babies flying around in diapers. They're not. They're not the, uh, uh, what was the mom used to like? An angel. The angel. Touched by an angel. You know, it's not that. I, here's the thing. These angels were massive. Do you know why every time when you read about an angel showing up in Scripture, the first thing they said was, fear not? 
Because these angels were scary looking. Because, hey, 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 don't, don't soil yourself, fear not. Don't crap your breeches, fear not. Come on. I'm an angel. I'm an angel. Because these were massive six wings. And it says that these creatures were flying around and back and forth going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God Almighty. You know why they were doing that? Because they had an accurate view of who God really was. And when we get an accurate view of who God really is, our opinions won't matter. We'll just say, God, you're holy. God, you're holy. Man, I'm telling you, I look for, I, I look for the day that happens in our church. When we come in. And we begin to see, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my point or the way I think about things, it, my opinions. It's about God because I saw him accurately. I'm looking forward to the day when each side of the church gets into competition. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This side over here. Holy, holy, holy. And it's, I mean, going back and forth. When we get an accurate view of who God really is. And understand it. When we do that, guys, we leave our pride at the door. We leave our failures. We leave our things that we've messed up. What our opinions about what we think is right or wrong. We leave that at the door and just begin to worship when we have an accurate view of God. And if you think it's loud in here, check this out. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I like that place. I look forward to the day that happens. The third thing, if you want to waste your life in this pandemic, don't accept any responsibility. Blame your life, where you're at in life, what's happened to you. Just blame it on somebody else and point fingers. Don't accept any responsibility. The culture that I've noticed is this. We, we want to blame everybody else and never look back and say, what have I done? What have I done? We always find some, some person, some people group to throw our blame at. And we never take any responsibility. Isaiah, look what Isaiah says when he encountered God and saw God accurately. Woe to me, I cried. I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah said, hey, it's not anybody else. It's me. It's me. He didn't go, God, if you knew the people I hung around, you'd know I'm a man of unclean lips. You'd cuss too. Come on. You'd do what I did too, God. He said, no, no, it's I'm the problem here, God. It's me. Listen, I'm not trying to downplay or minimize any hurt that some of you have gone through. I'm not trying to minimize the rough upbringing you've had or make light of the abuse, the marginalization, the, the racism, the bullying that some of you have. But here's what I'm saying. As long as on, the only thing you're doing is pointing a finger and blaming them for the way you are or what you did, you will always be a victim and never a victor in it. You've got, here's, here's what you need to do is God, get on. I was hurt and you know it. I don't like what happened to me. I don't like my upbringing. I don't like the things that I, that I encountered growing up. But God, here's the truth too. I made some choices in my life. 
that got me here to where I'm at. And if you will be honest with God, God will do the rest. God will do the rest, guys. Let's wrap this up. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Isaiah's talking. One of the seraphim, one of the angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongue from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Look, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. I want you to picture what just happened. This huge creature, six-winged angel, goes over to this open fire, gets a live coal, comes over, places it on the mouth and the lips of Isaiah. Now, I never had a live coal in my mouth or on my lips, but I have taken a bite of pizza with hot, bubbly cheese on it and played the game of, do I spit this good pizza out or do I not get a first-degree burn on the roof of my mouth? I played that game before. <laughs> Come on, you've been there too. It's, it hurts, right? You don't hear one word of pain here. Isaiah didn't say, man, it burned. Man, it hurt. Man, it was terrible. Why? Because here's what I believe. This is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do when he would take all the pain, he would take all the punishment so that we could be free of guilt and our sins could be atoned for. I'm telling you guys, for the person here or person online that is struggling with your past, he knows all about your addiction. He knows about the affair. He knows about the abortion. He knows about your sexual leanings. He knows all that. He knows everything about you. And here's the thing. He paid the price for it. He paid for it. So I gave you three ways to waste your life. I've only got one on how not to waste your life. It's this, complete surrender. With all the uncertainty going on, I know that God's purpose for you and I is not just to ride this thing out. He died so that you could have purpose, so I could have purpose. He died so that we could be instruments during this time we're in. He died so that we could be his hands, his feet, his voice, his compassion, his heart. So many followers of Jesus have set their purpose to the side and just waiting for something to happen. When God is saying, I placed you there to make something happen. Now wake up. Wake up. Be the hope. Be the light. Be the courage. Be the peace to this watching world. After all this takes place, um, God then asks Isaiah a question that he's still asking today. He says, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. I love Isaiah's response. Uh, God said, Who, who will go for us? Isaiah didn't say, um, Can I get some details on this, God? Could you kind of let me know what's going on, what I'm running into here? It's crazy out there. I don't know if you looked. It's crazy. No, Isaiah was like, God, you drew me to yourself. 
You revealed yourself to me. You paid for my sin. You took the pain of my guilt, my, my sin and my past. So whatever you want, God, the answer is yes. Send me. Send me, God. I, I'm telling you, I, I, Isaiah's like, I can't just wait this out. I can't just stand by and waste this opportunity that you created me for. You placed me in this time for this reason. And after everything you've done for me, all the grace you've shown me, all the love you've shown me, all the times you've forgiven me and keep on forgiving me, God, my answer is yes, send me. Yeah, I know what they're saying. Still send me. Yeah, I know it's dangerous out there. Send me. Yeah, I know I'll be talked about and belittled. Send me. Yes, I know that my own people will even even criticize me still send me God I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that if you completely surrender to God surrender to God life is, will be easy I'm not going to tell you those lies because you look at the life of Isaiah he wrote 66 chapters in the Bible he is quoted numerous times throughout the New Testament. But history tells us this. The way he died wasn't by being crucified, wasn't by being hanged, wasn't by being stoned to death. He was sown in half. So I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that surrender is easy. But I will tell you this. I don't want to get to the other side of this thing and look back and, and, and God think, Kelly, wow. You really wasted this opportunity. I had so much I wanted to say and do through you, but you chose to just hunker down and write it out. I'll tell you, I would rather die having lived, lived a life pursuing the purpose of God in my life than living a life just trying to survive. I want to close with this. I had my message finished up through yesterday. And I really believe God showed me this, reminded me of this story in a different way than I've seen it before. And here's how I want to, I want to close with this story. It's found in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus had finished up teaching. He's tired. Kind of wants him a long time. So he tells his disciples, hey, go to the other side. Without me, I'll catch up with you later. Disciples jump in a boat. They head over to the other side and Bible talks about this massive storm hits them. And they're just trying to ride this thing out, ride this storm out, hunkering down, just trying to survive. And here comes all they think. They think it's a ghost walking toward them. And they're like, are you serious? Not only do we have the storm, the pandemic, now we've got ghosts coming at us. Hasn't that what this year been like? It's like, well, somebody said, well, it couldn't get any worse. Then bam, guess I was wrong. Can't get worse. It's like one thing on the other, uh, on the other. I mean, you look at it. It can get worse. Uh, we've, got, we've got social and racial tension. We've got uh, violence erupting. We've got sex trafficking at an all-time high. Come on. Our suicide rate during this pandemic has skyrocketed. It can get worse. And it's easy, I'll be honest, it's easy to just want to just, you know what, I'm going to ride this out. People will get through this and people will start coming back to the church. People start getting back involved. I'm just going to keep quiet and keep my opinions to myself and ride this out. But that's not what I've been called to do, guys. See, I've not been called to, 
to, to, to uh, we, we've not been called to save the world from a virus. The fact is this, there's been a virus in this world that is, has been far more deadly than COVID-19. Sin has owned millions upon millions of people. Let's get back to the story and close out. Most of you know the story. Uh, Peter gets out of the boat. Well, let's look at it. You've got this storm going on. Here comes Jesus. They think he's a ghost. Till Jesus says something. Chapter 14, verse 28. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says one word. Come. Man, I wish we would respond with just one word from Jesus. He said, one word, come. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. I want you to think, what what were the other disciples doing? Peter, get your tail back in this boat. It's dangerous out there. You don't know if that's Jesus or a ghost. Get back in this boat. It's crazy. But he doesn't. He says he gets out there and he begins to walk on the water in the storm toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, when he lost focus of Jesus, and he began to notice the wind, the storm, everything around him, he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. I want to read verse 31, what Jesus, his reply from the Passion. Jesus immediately stretched out his hand, lifted him up and said, what little faith you have, Peter. Why would you let doubt win? Think think about it. Peter gets out of the boat. Jesus is here. He walks on water, on waves. It's not flat. Peter's like, and then he loses focus. Jesus says, Peter, why would you allow doubt to win? You were doing great. What, What was the difference? Peter took his focus off Jesus and began to focus on what was going on around him. I believe that's what's happening in the world. But the next verse is the kicker. Let's move on because I know we're in there. It says this, and when they climbed into the boat, then the wind died. You see that? Peter steps out, one word from Jesus, begins to do the impossible. He gets distracted by the wind of the storm around him, takes his focus off Jesus. He begins to sink. Jesus reaches down, saves him. He gives Peter this Bible lesson while the storm is going on. I'm thinking, Jesus, pick him up, then say, hey, peace, peace be still. And then we have this conversation. Then we walk back on calm, flat water. Not Jesus. He has this conversation with Peter with the storm going all around and the waves still going on. Then he walks him back to the boat and when he gets in, the storm ceases. Why? Why? I think it's because Jesus wanted Peter to know exactly what he wants us to know. That there are times you cannot just hunker down and ride the storm out. There are times where you have to build up the faith to step out of the boat, get on the water, walk into the storm where Jesus is. And no, he may not calm the storm, but he calms us in the middle of the storm. Come on now. 
Let's finish this out. Peter walks out there. Jesus saves him. They get back. Then those who were in the boat began to worship Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Those that were insulting Peter, telling him he's stupid for wanting to get out of the boat, telling him he's crazy for wanting to go out, now they're looking at Jesus, worshiping. I hope you're following me. None of that would have happened had Peter decided just to hunker down and ride out the storm. There are people watching us. And they're waiting to see how the church, how followers of Jesus react to this. Do they see us just hunkering down and riding out the storm? Or do they see us stepping out of the boat? Because Jesus, contrary to popular belief, Jesus ain't hunkered down in the boat. He's out in the middle of the storm where the war is going on. Posted this past week. I've I've been very careful about what I post because, like I said, as a pastor man, you got to watch. Some people are just very sensitive, and uh, I posted this. I thought it was a very safe post. Just because someone isn't afraid of COVID doesn't mean that he or she doesn't believe in it. He or she understands the risk, but doesn't prioritize fear over life. I thought that's a pretty safe quote. Not bad-mouthing anybody if they want to wear a mask, if they don't, nothing. And I got, got a comment. Said this, being cautious isn't the same thing as fear. You're right. It isn't. And, and, and so y'all know me. I'm a word guy. I like to look, hey, what is the, here's what the actual definition of cautious is. To assess a situation, then move forward. Here's my concern with a lot of followers of Jesus. Six months ago, they started assessing the situation, but they've yet to move forward. And now it's turned to fear. Because fear means stuck, unwilling to move from where you are. I'm I'm all about being cautious. But if it's keeping you stuck, unwilling to move forward, it's not caution anymore. It's fear. It's fear. I realize that we've got several people in our body that aren't able to come, come to our own because they've got immune. I understand that. But there's a lot of people that are just hunkering down and trying to ride it out. And they're wasting their purpose during this time. They, they, they then followed it up with a, with a Bible verse because I, I am a pastor. Got to give them a Bible verse. They said it's also good, a good way for proclaiming Christians to humble themselves and show compassion for their neighbor. Then they gave me the scripture, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Again, I agree. I agree with all that. But with that being said, doesn't the world, doesn't our communities need to see people that are willing to step out of the boat into the storm and stand with Jesus? Don't they need people 
that are that, that won't just hunt her down and try to ride it out, but that will step into the storm despite what people are saying, despite what their friends are saying. And because when that happened, when it happened with Peter, what did it say? Those back here looked on and began to worship, saying, He is the Son of God. I believe this world is waiting to see a group of people that will step into the storm. And when that happens, they'll say, Oh, He is the Son of God. Let's worship. Let's worship. Let's close this thing out. I know I've said that four times, but every time I say it, you kind of ease up a little bit. So it's like, okay, maybe this time. Uh, saw a quote the other day that said, nobody wants to waste their entire life waiting for someone to change. Thought about the quote. Thought about what's going on in the world. So here's what I came up with. Nobody wants to waste their entire life waiting for the world to change. Rick Warren said this, if your activities don't match your priorities, you are wasting your life. Author and theologian, John Piper, he said this, he said, I will tell you what a tragedy is and I will show you how to waste your life. He says, consider the story from the February 1998 Reader's Digest. He says, a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler. They play softball and they collect seashells. Piper says, at first when I read this, I thought, this is a joke. It's a spoof about the American dream. He says, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life your one and only precious God-given life and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this, riding on my boat, playing softball, collecting seashells. And he concludes with this. He said, picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment saying, look, Lord, see my seashells? This is a tragedy. And this is how you waste your life. Stand with me across the room.